What's the crack? This is the Friday roundup of all news Manchester United with a look ahead to this weekend's game. So I'm joined for the first time by Jacqueline McGuinness. She's going to take us through the news, talk about some hot topics to do with Manchester United that have come about in the press this week. We're going to have a look at the press conference as well and uh, also just have a chat about the Brentford game. So how are you? Fine. Hello everyone. Good stuff. Did you watch the Galatasaray game? I did. What did I you think of the game? I had an emotional rant on the Galatasaray game. Uh, first time I think I've let the anger and annoyance get away from me. What did you think about it? I thought the players pretty well. I was really disappointed. I think it was just individual errors in the Galat, avoidable goals. Yeah, I think Turner kept using those individual mistakes, and I think that's what it came down to. Like now that I've had time to stew on it, it could have been a, a good performance, but. I can't make any point. Like that back four is a team that's been thrown together, and it's going to look that way because Victor Lindelof has been there for years. But I've never thought that Victor Lindelof was good enough to play for Manchester United. I just think he's such a weak player. Well, I disagree. I I think he's a good player, but what does he do? He, I think he's a good player. I think he's a good defender. It's just that. Do you think he's very weak? No. Well, yes, to a degree. He is he's easily pushed off the ball, but. I have a stat up here, if you'll indulge me. Okay. And everybody's going on about Onan and stuff. Um, how he's a disaster. He's only. I think he's a disaster. I'm not going to lie. I just think it's too too soon to shout. Okay. Here's Andrew Onana's games. Varane and Martinez have played three matches. This season. This season. Since the season started. I didn't even think they had three. To be honest. Three. Lindelof and Martinez three. Lindelof and Varane, two. Lindelof and Evans, one. Varane and Maguire, one. There's no continuity in that back line at all. No. None at all. And I don't think until... But even last season, like, if you look... I would say the established centre-back pairing should be Martinez and Varane. Absolutely. Varane got injured last season and was out for large parts, but so Martinez had to play with Lindelof or Maguire or whoever Tim Hag decided to put in against that. Then Varane came back, got himself into the team. We were all G'd up. We're going to see the Varane and Martinez partnership. And then Martinez could have been injured. That's what, that's my point. There's no... And even the full-backs, you've Shaw, then you've Regulon, then you've Amrabat. Yeah. It's ridiculous. He's not a full-back. Then you've Dallow, who I don't rate as a defender. No, I don't. Aaron Wampasaka is a much superior defender than um, Diogo Dallow. I honestly don't think Diogo Dallow was meant to be there this season. I have a theory that if Harry Maguire had left Manchester United that we might have pursued Benjamin Havard to play right back and Aaron Wan-Bissaka would have been the backup. Now would Dallow have stayed at the club probably with the injury situation that was going on because he's filled in at left back but I don't think he wants Dallow. I think he's playing Dallow out of necessity. Dallow is the only established fullback that he has fit at the minute and he's starting that right hand side but I mean you talk about middle up being weak. The Saha goal. Just if you're gonna do that and you know he has the beating of you, it's not like he just went up against Dallow when he was stronger. They were at it for a period of what felt like a minute, but it was only six seconds, I think. Pull him down. But that's my point. Armand Bissaka would not have done that. No. Armand Bissaka would have taken him out before it got to that stage. Yep. Diogo Dallow has lapses and serious lapses in concentrations at times. He, he is good at going forward, but his end product isn't. No. Elitist. He'd be um, a brilliant wing back. He would. But as a defender, no, I don't rate him as a defender. 
No. And when you Diallo in the team, I've just said I don't like Lindelof. I don't like we, we need to go with the Lindelof situation. For me, he's too soft, but to take your point, he, he's obviously something about him because he's been at United for years and he's, he's kept Sweden, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So him, I don't know. Okay, here's, a, here's a question. Lindelof or Maguire? Harry. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Honestly, I think I wouldn't have been at the start of the season. I would have trusted Ferdinand Lindelof more. I think he was he was definitely decent last season. But I just think that defenders, like we think they show up on a Saturday and they run about like we do uh, when we're playing football and you kick a few balls in training and you know you turn out and you try and give your best performance. They have video analysts who sit and look at the weaknesses in different players' games, and I really think one of the the things that's recurring now is to get the striker one on one with Victor Lindelof in a physical battle, and he loses every time. Tell did it to him in the Bayern Munich game; it was laughable. He just shrugged him. He pushed into him with his body. Lindelof went flying, and then he managed to get him behind us and score the goal. He got rolled by a Kiori. I don't see a Kiori as a physical forward. Like he might be a bit of a thug and has a bit of a temper, but he's not a physically imposing forward. But he rolled Victor Lindelof like he wasn't there. I mean, I pulled United's defence apart for the second goal, but if you watch it back. Amrabat gets dummied and then stands because he's not a left back he's used to getting beaten midfield and then maybe somebody else is behind him but if you're left back and the right winger is beating you there's nobody there lad you have to make it back you have to turn and start running you've been beat but he stood stationary the ball comes into Vicciardi but it was at that point that I called it out when I was analysing the game the other night again just foul him if Lindelof knows he doesn't have the beating of Vicciardi if he takes Vicciardi down that move dies but he didn't and Kiori backed in, shrugged him off, and then fed Yamas again. Yeah. And that was it. They it, was were away. it was far too easy. Now, Amrabat, I'll forgive. He's not a left back. But Victor Lindelof is meant to be a centre back. You're playing in the Premier League against the Ivan Tonys, the Hallands of the world, and you're losing physical battles with the Kiori. Doesn't bode well. But so we're all crying out for another general in that midfield. Amrabat comes in, and then he's stuck. At left back, yeah. So what's the solution there? The, the one thing, one of the the common denominators would say among the fan base is to put Diogo Dallo out on the left and Victor Lindelof on the right, and keep Amrabat in midfield to protect that yeah. fluctuating back line. Yeah, it's to go back to your original question. I'm not saying Harry Maguire will be that general in centre back. I just think that Victor Lindelof has been really poor the last run of games and I don't think it's the worst decision in the world just that carry Maguire in and see if Maguire with Ferran can create something because I've seen Maguire pick with Lindelof and that was not the answer. They were chaos. But see, can Raphael Varane add a bit of a calmness to Harry Maguire's game with his assuredness and how experienced he is? I don't know. Look, it's a really, really sad state of affairs to have to say that I think Harry Maguire can make an improvement Very in that sense, but I really, I'm going to stick by that one. Harry Maguire is a good defender in the right system. Yeah. But he just doesn't suit a high line. Doesn't. Because he's too slow and he but turns like a tanker. Could Varane cover that? Varane. If Maguire was in for that physical presence and to win the ball in the box and the clear all around him, and he had to play the high line. Could Varane spend less time on the ball, allow Maguire to be the high present winner, and make sure that he's there if the ball gets played in the behind to be the man running back? Because you only need one. But he hasn't got 100% cover on that left side. Was no, he doesn't. An out-of-position player. And, yeah, I, what the fan base are saying about um, playing Diogo Dalloway from the left, I'll tell you why he won't do that. 
if you look at the new fluid formation that he's trying to play with the players he has at his disposal, he likes that Amrabat is in the left-back position because Amrabat comes in to play as a second holding midfield player. The two centre-backs spread themselves a bit wider and Lindelof was already and Varane were already coming in to cover the left space the other night. That's the way that he sees that formation working. But if he goes to two full-backs and he has Victor Lindelof and Diogo Dallo, what he won't get out of Victor Lindelof is that tucking in and he also won't get the outlet. If you have Amrabat doing it on the left side, right, you have no width. But if you have the width out on the right-hand side, then you have two avenues. If you're coming left, you're playing intricate football. If you're coming right, you can spread the ball out to Dallow across the ball. And I think he likes having the two options in the formation to try and confuse and baffle the opposition. The main problem with it is, at the minute, he's confusing and baffling our own players. Yeah. <laughs> and they're getting it wrong. Because it's almost overly complex. And when you have a team that's not established or experienced with together like our lads are, you overcomplicate things and you're asking for disaster, which is what we're seeing. But I think that's part of the problem. The start of this season, he is trying to implement his his style of play, and yep. we are too. Like we often discussed it that United have been very predictable. Get it to Casemiro, Casemiro to Fernandez, Fernandez to Rashford. Yeah. That was so that, exactly, and that's what it was. Now they're trying a more possession based football, and. They're not clicking at all. Because under Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, we played counter-attacking football. When Ten Hag came in after two games, he said, that team, those players, cannot play the style of football I want to play. So let's go back to what they're comfortable with. Now I think he's put the foot down and said, this is the style of play that I want to implement. And it's thrown everything into disarray. Because you've either players who can't play that system are players who don't want to play that system totally. that revert to the comfort blanket of counter-attacking football that they're yeah. used to. But I also think it's, it's hard to keep using that excuse because it's such an easy excuse, such an easy crutch to have when you talk about injuries and players being missing. But sorry to interject, is it a valid excuse though? I told you, the point I'm going to make is if you look at Liverpool Right, as a collective team, it took Klopp years to build that squad, right? And when he built the squad, he persevered with his style of play. And when he got it right, it looked brilliant. And Liverpool finally got their, their Premier League, albeit they COVID on that one. But they got their Champions League as well, and that's brilliant. He gets all the plaudits. But he was given time and space to build that team, and there was a lot that he got wrong. And a few performances, the Liverpool fans turned around and must have thought, what is this? This isn't this is not Yeah. But to go back to the injuries, he built the established team. And he had it, and he was doing really well, and then Van Dijk got injured. One player. And Liverpool did not look the same animal. They were defensively making goals. They were shipping stuff at the back that they didn't under Virgil van Dijk, because he was there as that command and performance. And their excuse was, oh, but van Dijk's out. And the pundits as well were saying about the influence that Virgil van Dijk has in that team. Now, Manchester United have one fit starting defender at the minute in Raphael Varane, and he's only back, but we're a team in chaos. I mean, and our two starting um, fullbacks out as well. Exactly, two starting fullbacks out. We're missing our centre back partnership, but the pundits are still with some sort of I don't know dual standard saying United are in chaos. Tin Hag's not getting it right. What's going wrong with United? Because it's Man United. I know, but I think Tin Hag built up enough good grace last season for me to be able to suffer this because Klopp had done the same thing over a period of years. He had won the Premier League and he'd won the Champions League. So when it goes wrong in Liverpool, there's panic, obviously, there's annoyance, but it's not the doom and gloom and chaos that you see in the papers that Manchester United are suffering at the minute. Because 
you know, Klopp's won the trophies, so he's obviously got it right. Ten Hag hasn't got that good grace yet, or he's, he, the Carabao Cup doesn't really But count. do you not think that he's not very engaging in um, his press conferences? He's been badgered time and time again about Harry Maguire. Yeah. About other yeah. aspects. Like, the man has had so much external upheavals away from the training ground, away from that football pitch with the Mason Greenwood incident, Jadon Sancho, who else did I miss? Uh, Anthony, at present. Anthony, yeah. I know he's back now, but... Yeah, and that's still lingering about in the background like we'll get to the news stories and stuff um, in a bit that obviously you've seen more of it than I am but I'm of the understanding that that hasn't gone away that oh no she apparently is flying in to be interviewed by the Greater Manchester Police but he was questioned by the Greater Manchester Police apparently for five hours and they let and no charges were brought against him yeah I've seen that so but it's an ongoing saga that Ten Hag doesn't need Especially saying that Anthony is one of his purchases. And that's the point you were making, and it's an extremely valid point. There's behind the scenes of Manchester United, and there's chaos. Chaos. The sale? The sale. <laughs> like, that's gone on for, what is it, 11 months now? Yeah. That's like, ridiculous. My, my verdict on the sale, right? This is my hard stance on the sale. They're not selling. And the reason that I believe this is because of the silence. I think they, as businessmen of the elk that they are, think that the longer they draw this out, that everybody will get bored asking questions. And you look at it, it was sensationalist journalism for ages there, where it was it was making the papers. And every couple of weeks, Sony would come out with a new story. Oh, Jim's ready in a new bid. Brilliant. Happy days. Oh, but the guitars are going to bid more. Happy days. Brilliant. And then another week would pass and that story would be debunked. Or, it, you know, there was no follow-up to it. So I honestly think nothing's going on. I think they put the club up for sale and if they had it got six and a half, maybe six billion up front for the football club, they would have sold it. But I think they were really disheartened at the level of money that was being thrown about by Jim Ratcliffe and the Qataris. They have obviously looked at it also as businessmen and seen the huge anchor of debt that Man United have to clear. I don't know how Jim would do it. I'm sure the Qataris could do it. But all of those sort of all those factors we would love to be taken into consideration with a sale and we'd love the players to be thinking about, they're not. They wanted six, they got five, they've said no, and in my opinion, they're sitting now hoping that it dies out as a story till they can get to the point to turn around and say, actually guys, we found a minor investor and we're going to push ahead with our stadium plans. Oh, Jim Radcliffe, 25%. And Jim Radcliffe said at the start that he was not clearing the debt. What he said was that there'd be no more added debt but he made no assurances about clearing the existing debt. No, it, nor should he. Because Appa- apparently, I, I'm sorry, I know nothing about finances, but not all debt is bad. Yeah. But it is when financial fair play comes in and you can't buy the players that you need for your team. That's exactly it. It's the absolution of that debt that's holding the football club back. I'm sure they're all in debt and all have different investment banks backing them and uh, pump money in that they don't have for transfers. There's no way that Todd Bowley has put his own money into that football club. He has a, a lot of investors and a wee consortium and group together, but it's say they're leveraging different businesses that they have to buy the players in the hope that Chelsea will succeed and they'll be paid massive dividends for the next 10 years, so they'll make their money back in spades. But I think the Glazers are sick of putting... Well, they haven't put any of their own money in, no. but I think they're sick of having to deal with the added aggro of Manchester United fans 
you know, constantly hassling them and the board hassling the bay players. So what they've done now is what they did in the summer. They've just turned around and said, you know what? We don't care anymore. The club's up for sale. If the money's not in the football club, use your loan deals. Go and approach Tottenham and take Rahulian on loan because you're not getting a left back. If you can't sell Maguire, you're not buying Pavard. And we, you don't have the money for Amrabat, so start scraping up sales there, boys, because we're not putting a penny in. A club like Manchester United, that's... For the manager, the point we're trying to make for the manager, that's stress. To not be at a big club like Manchester United, identify your own targets and be told you can't have Pavard because you need to sell Maguire. But that's the point. There's too much external stress on that man. There is. It's stressful enough when you are managing one of the biggest global football teams. Yeah, but... That, that's the way the Glazers view Man United as a business. And if... It was a successful business there's on no, the pitch. There's, there's no emotional attachment no. by the Glazers. If if it was a successful business on the pitch, if it was delivering football results, you would ignore the failing stadium, you know, the facilities being called out by Cristiano Ronaldo, and you would ignore the fact that there's a limited transfer budget, and you would turn around and say, you know what, that's fine, we were successful last year. But when it's as poor... As it is at the minute, you can't. And unfortunately, what they, I don't think they realise is their behaviour is aching down through every level of our football club. I think Eric Ten Hag is the man to get Manchester United right, but I couldn't hand on heart sit here and honestly say that I think he will. I'm so unsure now. And it's not just because he's the manager and we have the players we have. I think that can work. We just look like a shit show week on week. No, I think he's the man for the job. I really do. Do you think any man will get that job right? Who would want it? Who would want it? I mean, to get over the Mason Greenwood saga, which for anyone coming out in press conferences and whatnot as a manager must have been galling. But it's the British press are like a pack of jackals at times. Yeah. He was asked continuously when he dropped Harry Maguire. And now every press conference about um, the form that Marcus Rashford is in. It just seems to be, and I think he's handled it very, very well. He was asked about Anthony. And about why Anthony was back in the squad, and in other words, and then the domestic abuse was brought into it, and I think he answered very well. Said there's been no charges brought against Anthony and this country. You are innocent yeah. until proven guilty. Exactly. Whether we like it or not. Mason Greenwood was a completely unique scenario. I actually had this conversation with someone else during the week, and they were saying, "Oh, he's never been back." They were saying, "You know, what's the difference between Anthony and Greenwood's situation?" And I said, oh, it's obviously like it's two completely unique situations. Mason Greenwood was completely and utterly guilty because what was released from Mason Greenwood made its way into us, the court of public opinion. And when you hear that and you see what happened and you analyse that scenario, you have to turn around and go, not a chance. You cannot play for Manchester United. You should not be playing football at the minute. You should be getting psychiatric help. But also, Mason Greenwood was charged. He had charges brought against him. Exactly. The charges were dropped, but there were charges by... The CPS brought against him. Yeah, and that's that's the point that I, I made. If he if Anthony is arrested by the police, I think even if he is proven innocent in court, it's the same as Mason Greenwood. United cannot be, be associated judged. with a player that was actually found. You know where there was cause to charge the lad, where the police looked at the evidence and thought, yes, we do believe that you have made but at the a end serious of the day, error in judgment. You've been arrested. Exactly, but at the end of the day, you're bringing the club into disrepute. Exactly. Yeah. But I really, fuck, I really hope that doesn't happen. I don't know if Anthony is innocent or guilty. I, I have seen snippets of what has happened. I've read a few of the stories. 
I'm going to set my fence for that one. I don't honestly know. Well, I am not making any judgment until if there are charges brought up against him, I want him dropped. Yeah, I would want him gone. I would want him to receive the same treatment as Mason Greenwood. It has to be a hard stance for United. But, yeah, I mean, that's a situation you can sit and talk about all day. But I think when you have that going on and it's being brought into press conferences, it adds stress. And for the first time the other night, when I seen Tim Hag being interviewed post-game, it was the dark bags on the eyes. And the he just... He's brilliantly composed in press conferences because he's the time to prepare for them. But in the heat of the moment, post game at the minute, he's looking like a man that's under pressure. Under pressure, yeah. Struggling to figure out why this happens week on week, and I think that could segue into the press conference that he had today, which we'll bring up and we'll read some of the comments that he made. So it starts off with him admitting that Marcus Rashford is struggling for form. But the confidence, the goals, or he is confidence that the goals will eventually flow. So when it came to Marcus Rashford, he said, everyone knows the qualities of him. But if the team is doing the right things, putting him in the right places, and we've seen him coming in the right positions, he's struggling, but it'll pass. Everyone at Manchester United backs him. The team supports and believes in him. I'm sure with that confidence of the team behind him, this will change. It will pass. I mentioned pass a lot. Strikers, when they don't score... They need one goal and they step over it. It will come. He is so experienced. He knows when he and the team are doing the right things, the momentum will come and he'll be on fire. Well, agree? Disagree? To a certain extent. It's not. I think I have said it, and not just to you, but to other people as well. I think when Eric Ten Hag implements his system, that um, Marcus Rashford will struggle big time. He is not suited for possession-based football. He is suited for counter-attacking football. Yeah. Do you know what I found really interesting? He called Rashford a striker. And he's not. He's not. He's not. For me, he's not. He struggles in that striker position. He really does. He can't play with his back to goal. He can't hold the ball up. Marcus Rashford is brilliant playing on the shoulder and that ball over the top because yeah. he's got that burst of speed and when in form and his confidence is up he can score goals when his confidence is on the ground we might as well play with 10 men but I think like in my opinion yeah totally I mean what I would say is when I was doing the when I was reacting to the Galatasaray game the other night the point I made about Marcus Rashford and I think it's a really valid one is we all wanted Marcus Rashford to be a less selfish player we wanted Rashford to make it work with Hoyland. We wanted Rashford to find his teammates and stop putting his head down around him with the ball. He tried that the other night and it came off. He assisted the Hoyland goal. And then he was pulled apart for the pass to Bruno Fernandes. But if you watch that entire sequence of play, he never thought about shooting there. He immediately pulled himself up as if he was going to score the ball. And I thought, you wouldn't have done that last year. So in two passages of play, you're seeing exactly what you want from Marcus Rashford. He crossed the ball and it was brilliant for Hoyland. But then in that moment you want the Rashford of last season and you want him to bang the ball into the back of the net and I just think the lad maybe needs a bit of time to figure out I, I say that Rashford suffers from heroism that's what my take on Rashford Absolutely. is when we needed him he was called upon to deliver the goals last season and he had very little help in doing so Bruno Fernandes is brilliant Bruno Fernandes was fine him, but what I'm saying help is he had very few other players in the team scoring goals at that stage so he adopted this mentality that if the team needs me to do it on my own, I will do it on my own. 
And now in a really short space of time, in the few games that he has with Rasmus Hoyland, have they played three, four together? Where Talon Marge is actually right, that was brilliant. Now he's the striker. But that's his job now. Yeah. That is. is his job. But I think the biggest critique of Marcus Rashford is his decision making. And that was evident yeah. against the Galatasaray team. He just, will I shoot, will I pass? And he has to get his head up. That was Marcus Rashford, as I said, excels in a counter attacking team. Absolutely excels. Yeah. Harry Maguire excels. Like, I'm not a big fan of Harry Maguire, I think he's very limited. But he excels in a team that'll sit deep. Yeah. The high line, no. I always say that Harry Maguire would be a brilliant anchor for a back three. I think if one of those teams that had the three, and I think he would have been a cracking centre for Chelsea, but Chelsea had Thiago Silva. But if Thiago Silva was the goal and you're looking at another big experienced player that hasn't got the legs but has, you know, the, the ability to flatter all around him, you could do worse. See, you, you, it's not a limitation on players' ability as such, but you have system players. Players yeah. that cannot adapt yeah. through one reason or another. They cannot adapt to a particular system. And you have players who excel in a particular system. Harry Maguire and Marcus Rashford are two players in that category for me. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, um, I think that's where... Casemiro is potentially struggling at the minute. Casemiro has not looked the same player this season, but I don't think Mason Mount was bought to be that deep holding midfielder. And Casemiro is showing signs that he cannot hold midfield on his own, but it's very hard for any player to hold midfield on their own. You look at Manchester City, um, if you go for City last year, Rodri was the holding midfielder, but you get an output defensively out of Gondwin and you get an output defensively out of Kevin De Bruyne. Mm. Mount is very busy, but not a brilliant actor. Amrabat is stuck over on the left side of that back. Mebry is very busy. I'm impressed with him so far in terms of his energy and what he brings. But in terms of defensive and offensive output, really not there. So you're relying on Cass too much. And when it doesn't come off for turning around going, oh, Casemiro is finished, doesn't have the legs. No. Casemiro needs a fully fit left back to come into the team so that he can play midfield with Sophie and Amrabat. And then I believe you'll see the best out of Casemiro. Well, I am hoping tomorrow that that team has changed. I do not want to see Amrabat. I want to see Amrabat in the midfield with Casemiro tomorrow, protecting that back four, whoever they are. Yeah, and I think that's going to take players. I don't think Manchester United will change their team tomorrow. I don't. I think that you might see Facundo Pellestri come back in if, if Mabry isn't fully fit, because Mabry, I think, burns himself out when he plays each he plays three games a week. Yeah. Absolutely everywhere <laughs> in that Palace game. Which is brilliant to see. Yeah. Um, and young, young players should be everywhere. And I'm, at times, Scott McTominay does the exact same thing as Mabry. He's t- total energy and all over the pitch. But where I get hypercritical of Scott is, it's okay for Mabry, because Mabry's playing as a 10. He can be busy, he can run all over the pitch, cover every blade of grass, and if he doesn't make tackles or he makes a few fouls or whatever, that's fine, because he's on to do what Weghorst tried to do last year he's there to press to be the second defender Scott does it but he kicks people and he doesn't dispossess people and he's just a really busy headless chicken at times I just I feel sorry for Scott McTominay because he's not he's not a defensive midfielder he can't do the Frankie de Jong role but what is he then? he started off believe it or not as a striker and then he had a growth spurt and then somebody in their infinite wisdom thought all right, size of your man. We'll stick him in his defensive midfielder. Yeah, it's a know? very UK thing, that it, isn't it's, it? It's ridiculous. You know, 
He is better. You look at some of the crackers that Scott McTominay scored for Man United, right? He is better deployed further up the pitch. But he's a liability. He's a, he's, no, he, to pass the ball to him. But don't ask him to pass the it's ball. Not, you he's not, so you think okay, he should be a he's not, No, no, no. He's not a progressive passer of the ball. He's no, he's not. a mediocre tackler of the ball. He's right? a poor tackler. Yeah. Calls fans fade. He's a poor tackler. Right, okay. But he's better deployed further on up the pitch and take him out of that midfield where he's a liability. So are you saying he should be no, a What Bottom line is, to be quite honest, he should be sold. Oh, 110. We're not talking about him playing at Manchester United. He's not he Man United quality at all. No, him and Dallow are on the chopping block. Just yeah. based off this one podcast. That is them. Need to go. Decision made. Nothing's going to swing me. Um, but are you saying he should play... If you're going to play him at all. Yes, that's what I'm saying. A 10? Yeah. A 10 that can't pass the ball? Look, put him on up the pitch and he can pass the ball. Okay. He loses the ball so much in midfield. That's what I'm saying. He's a liability in midfield. I think he plays as a defender sometimes for Scotland. Yeah, no, I can't think of a team that actually does this, and it's a football manager term. Isn't I'm just it? trying to shoot ornaments somewhere. <laughs> sometimes if you're playing with a 10, you can play with a shadow striker. And the shadow striker's role is to make those runs into the box or to be a charging point. The guy that, so the forward's in there to poach, but this is the guy that picks it up in that transition between the holding midfielders and the defenders and he bursts into the box. Yeah. So you, it's a very limited outlet for a footballer though, isn't it? Right, Scott, we know you can't have a standard. It's a brilliant position for him. He comes off. So many people throw Scott McTominay stats at me all the time. Oh, but look at his heat map and look, Scott McTominay was everywhere and he was in every frame and you watch the highlights back. Yes, doing fuck all. Doing nothing. I could go onto the pitch at Old Trafford and run about for 10 minutes. My heat map would be, oh my God, be out of this world. Would I do anything with ball? No. No. And that's. When it comes to and stats, stats over in uh, yeah. players that don't need that sort of praise. I think Scott McTominay is definitely one of them. A very very busy. Stats can be a bit deceiving. Yeah. You have to watch the game. But Scott, if you look, what you want to hone in on Scott is completed passes and the amount of tackles completed. And when you actually look at his stats, which I've done a few times, it's really really poor. He's great at hiding. But he, do you know what he is? The master of illusion. Because there's games I've come away and gone, God, Scott looked really good there, and then you've looked at him going, No, he didn't do anything. He's just harassed and bullied and thrown himself and It is, yeah. Yeah. It looks good. Yeah. But are you getting a stupid coach or a manager to sit and look at Scott and there would just be there'd be questions asked. Yeah, so that was Marcus Rashford that he brought up in the press conference. Then he went on to talk about Manchester United's form. So when he was asked the questions about the form and the results not being good enough, he said, We've dropped the levels and we have to get back to those. There are reasons for that, but still it's not acceptable and we have to fight against it. They have a good foundation for the way we play. We have rules and principles. When they help each other, support each other, we will play better. Consistency, that is the problem. In parts of the game, big parts, we do the right things, but we have moments where we are struggling. In this moment, you can't survive. Be consistent in communication to keep organization. Decisive moments are going against us and we lose a little bit of a team. In 95% of games, we are a team. We have to step up. At the nail nailed. Fair play is gay too for doing it completely Dutch and not forming it in proper English sentences and <laughs> saying exactly word for word what he said. I wonder do they do that for other managers because that makes a very hard read to yeah. try and interpret a Dutch man's English. Yeah, he's he's right. That's he's very good at speaking. But what did you think of that statement? Um, 
I think he doesn't want to bring the injuries into it because that would be making excuses for the form. He almost alluded to it and then he but stopped. Listen, we have some very big key players out. 110. You know, we yeah. do. I also think that he is trying to implement his style of playing. And we just haven't got it right. We're not clicking at the minute. But what I thought was very encouraging in um, Tuesday night's match was Rasmus Hoyland. I think he's going to be a monster. He is. And he's big and he's strong and he can hold the ball up. He just needs up to speed with his teammates. And if you get, it's like our back line, our front, our forward line needs to be, needs more continuity in it as well. Yeah. Through injuries or through form or through, I don't know, it's chopping and changing. You played football, I played football. You were more comfortable with somebody beside you. You knew when they were going to go forward. You knew when they were, you know, yeah. when they move, you move back. Do you know? Do you understand what I'm saying? That you could read them. Yeah. You can't if there's somebody, and especially if you're not a good communicator, yeah. that you're not shouting and you're not talking during the match. And you don't have to be friends. You don't have to like each other. Absolutely but not. But chemistry is a massive part of the best teams in football. Exactly. And if you understand each other, centre backs need to have a relationship and a partnership. Centre midfielders need to have a relationship and a partnership. And the forward line needs to have a relationship and a partnership. I think if you look at other teams, Messi, Neymar, Suarez, telepathy that probably will never be matched again. But they all got on with each other. They all understood each other on the pitch. You know, it was like they, they, they were a joy to watch because they were really enjoying themselves playing football. Now, Rashford and Hylvan have shades of it, but... That's going to take an awful lot of games time. for that partnership to build. I'm not saying that United will ever have a Messi, Neymar, Suarez. I'm not saying for no reason. Probably a poor example, but like if you just look, York and Cole. Mm. Now you take Andy Cole and Dwight York apart from each other, still good players, but you put them two together and it was world class. Now were they world class players when they were apart from each other? No, they were good goal scorers, but together it was something that couldn't be matched and it won trophies and it made and matches and so enjoyable to watch. But that took time and that took a forged relationship before it worked. We have seen our Trident, and I think our Trident is Bruno Rashford Hoyland. I think we've seen them play twice. Because and it's not even through injury. For some reason he can't decide between Mavery and Palestri. You know he plays Mavery as a ten and puts Bruno out on the right, where I think Bruno possibly could work. But do you not like him on the no, right? No, I don't. No I don't. Okay. Why what is it about him on the right? I think he's much better behind the the front line. I think he's much better as a ten. I think he's much better centrally that he can dictate dictate play. And our right wing at present is weak. We Palestri, who's a young player, he's very very easily pushed off the ball. Very tr- tricky player. We technical player. Good. I I rate him, but who knows what's happening with Anthony? He gets up to speed and then who knows? But yeah. anyway, he was on the other night. Yeah. It's it's not that it's his personal life now is a bit precarious. Mm-hmm. So you stick with Anthony, you keep playing, and then all of a sudden maybe charges are brought against him. Hopefully not, but do you understand what yeah, I'm I know what you from? mean. Yeah, you invest yeah, the time, given the just minutes. Track over one okay. second here. You were talking about strikers and that, and I'm much older than you are, and mm-hmm. I think your age group views players, iconic players like Jordan Cole, uh, with rose tinted glasses on. Andy Cole was the most frustrating striker at times. 
Absolutely. Well, you. So, oh my so God! Yes. How cool is like a exactly prolific because hero. our this is our, our our legends, right? Yes. Um, it's because of of the team the way it is now. It's because it's so dysfunctional at times, and we refer back to our. They were really good players, outstanding players. But Andy Cole took about. He reminds me at times. Um, Marcus Rashford reminds me of Cole at times. Mm-hmm. He had that many chances to get one goal. He mm-hmm. was a prolific goal striker, but boy, did he shoot from every angle as well. Sorry, I didn't mean to do it. No, but go ahead, go ahead. For uh, a point, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought no, that. No, because so we all have all, like, not just the United fan base, every fan base, you know, Kenny Dalglish walked on water. Yeah. That type of thing. He didn't, really. <laughs> <laughs> that could be bitterness in there as well. Oh, no, I don't know. But, but uh, no, but that's that's just the point I'm trying to make. You know, we, we go, we compare this crop of players to the players who were legends to the players who won the treble and you know yeah. they were frustrating to watch at times as well there were some hard watches you know back in the day back in my day there isn't everything but i think when they're being successful yeah, you for them you see sometimes in the forums and sometimes in and the chat rooms and, and places like that and the present group has been castigated as rubbish as crap as not fit to you know tie the laces of the like of I'm only using these players as example, York and Cole. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I and get we are totally frustrated with what the, our present situation. Yeah, and we will go back to Bruno in a minute. But I think the biggest thing about this is we're not successful at the minute. We're not playing well enough. We're not winning enough games. Well, that's my Look, point. The bit, yeah, exactly. We're under such an amplified microscope. Whereas to go to your point. If Marcus Rashford plays the ball to Bruno Fernandes and it doesn't come off the other night, right? And you need to come away 3-1 winners off the back of winning four games in a row. We will turn around and we'll say, God, Marcus wasn't lucky, wasn't he? But it becomes a massive issue and the crowd get after Rashford and the crowd are moaning and groaning because we're not playing well. No, it's all negativity. Yeah. So all of a sudden, our 30-goal hero of last season is under the microscope. Is, is he good enough to start? And that, to me, is mind-blowing, but... That's just the way and, football is. You know, is. a scoreline does flip the conversation. Oh, 110. 110. But back to the Bruno Fernandes point off the right. Not a fan. No. I agree with you that he plays better as a 10. I, I never would make that argument to anybody that he shouldn't be playing as a 10. I think he is a brilliant 10. But where I see it working is you have to think of it tactically. So we just said if we want our midfield to work, that Amrabat should play in there with Casemiro, right? Then you have Mountain Fernandes to fit in. Ah, but here's where I disagree with that. Why do you have to fit them in? Like we're shoehorning players in. Play either Bruno Fernandes or Mason Mount. I think I would put them in because United are playing some of the best passing football that I have seen in a while the past few games. In patches, in spells, it has looked incredible. And that is because Mason Mount has been able to go forward as a 10. Um, to play in there with Hannibal Mebry uh, and Casemiro and Amrabat have tucked in as the holding midfielders now that has left us exposed at left back as we've seen Yilmaz exploit the other night but all of a sudden you have a left back there and you have Mount you don't have Mebry in the team because Mebry is a good player but he's just good that player playing in that 10 position is Mount Mount doesn't have to make the run forward he's already there Amrabat is already there holding midfield and Casemiro is already there holding midfield Amrabat all of a sudden can shirk his defensive responsibilities and is totally focused on keeping the ball and keeping the ball moving. Bruno Fernandes is coming in off the right-hand side. So yes, that is leaving you without a right-winger. But all of a sudden, you have two tens. And Dallow. Because he, Tanhag loves to push the central block up the pitch. Centre-backs play high 
and your winger outlets are your fullbacks. So Dallo will be out there on the right-hand side for the moment, or Wan-Bissaka to play out and give them the width. Bruno comes in as a 10. I, f- I would say teams would find it very, very hard to get the ball off a quadrant of Amrabat, Casemiro, Mount and Bruno. I would say if you're playing the Rondo in training and you were the two defenders in that box, you're going to be there for a very long time trying to get that ball. Well, see, maybe that's why our play is so much lopsided now. Because we have Amrabat playing as left-back, where he should be in that midfield alongside Casemiro. And maybe that would... It would free up certain players like Mason Mount and Bruno Fernandes from certain defensive duties as yeah. well. Bruno Fernandes looked gassed at the end of the Galatasaray game. For the first time, I, yes, yeah, I, agree. I looked at him and I thought, yeah, Bruno Fernandes does look a bit... I don't know, leggy, a bit yeah. puffy, a bit. But then, I, th- I don't think it was solely despondency. I think it, he was just exhausted. You will turn around and say to Eric Ten Hag that you know Bruno Fernandez and getting dropped and getting arrested, and Ten Hag will back, come back and tell you that Bruno wants to play every yeah. game and he's the captain. Well, sometimes you have to make decisions for them, though, don't you? Yeah, that's it, and he needs to be brave and make those decisions. Yeah. But I suppose that then takes us into the Brentford game because we're talking about selections and pickings and. Yeah, I know. Nervy stuff. Nervy, nervy stuff. What do you think? We're at home for this one, aren't we? It doesn't matter anymore. No, we're, home. we're home. We're home. Yeah, I thought we were away. So yes, we're home. Does that make a difference anymore? No, we'll see this. Real fair to me at this point the other night that it's a hard place to, you know, for Galatasaray, fair play to them. They have great performance. Old Trafford is a hard place to come. And I thought, is it? It is would. It? Yes, Rory, it would have been. Now you watched the match and I watched the match, right? It was shocking individual mm. mistakes. Yeah. Absolutely shocking. And that's what they were, individual mistakes. Yeah, and... And this worrying trait of not being able to hold on to a lead, that has to be addressed. I think those mistakes are still going to come. I really do. Because I think when you... There's a reaction in every team, especially in a Champions League game, if you're playing opposition who doesn't think that you're better than them, when you score a goal. So Manchester United score a goal and Galatasaray go, right, that was quite possible, lads. Let's get at them now. And when they do get at them they realise that Manchester United are very fragile. And that's the biggest worry with Manchester United. Manchester United came like a dog out of the traps the other night. They were so on it from minute one and they almost intimidated the Galatasaray, pushed them back up the pitch and then eventually were rewarded with a goal. And Galatasaray had their first foray down in lower half to score. But didn't... I don't think we're going to stop read, that. Didn't I read that the uh, Galatasaray manager told the team to target Casemiro? I can only think that he was targeting Casemiro because Casemiro was in with Mount. I don't think that Casemiro deserves the criticism that's being levelled at him at the minute. He he hasn't dropped levels. Sorry to interrupt, Rory, but didn't Roy Hodgson say the same thing? He did, yeah. Do you think Casemiro's a problem? (laughs) Well, if other managers are telling their team to target him, I think Casemiro has looked leggy as well. He has. Very leggy. And I know some of the, the... Real Madrid fans have come on some of the forums and have said that it does take him a while to get up to speed after he's been off, after the summer break. But he was phenomenal against Bayern Munich. I think he's very isolated at times. That's... Very isolated. And he can't do it all on his own. He can't. And I think that's maybe why... It probably not... Say Amrabat was in Casemiro's position. I think maybe Manchester said, we'll target him. They're leaving him isolated. Yeah against a fragile back four and a goalkeeper that the jury is out on. And I think that's where you get the clickbait journalism that comes along. 
was the statement that they were targeting Casemiro. That makes it sound like they're targeting Casemiro because he's, he's poor yeah. and he's able to be got at. Or was the statement target Casemiro because when he's in there with the mount, he's going to be on his own? Yeah, and th- that's my understanding. You're two very different sides to that. You can take the negative and you could spin a story on it and turn around and say, oh, managers are targeting Casemiro now. And that sounds good. It's probably more clicks than me turning around and saying, do you know what? They're targeting Casemiro because he's been left solo by the manager in the middle. And I don't know how he changes that direction. How the, the, your original point was, we need to stop faking those goals as soon as we score a goal. I don't know if that can be fixed with the current squad. It can be fixed if you... He's going to have to put Amrabat in along with Casemiro. We have, what, Brentford and then it's the international break again. Yeah. Sink or swim in this one tomorrow. Because they can't say any, any more. There can't be any more negativity between the fan base and between journalists and between the media. Well, I think every Friday we'll pick our starting 11 and we'll see what we come up with and we'll see how many will get right. Okay. So who have you got in the net? Oh, you can't drop Onana. I'll put Onana in nets. I really want Onana dropped, but it's not going to happen. I really want to see Vyander get a run of games so that they can get Onana out of the team and get him right to play. I went on an awful rant about him the other night, but I don't think it was wrong to do it. He's been no, he's nothing been short of... He, look, we, we, we got rid of the, one of the best shot stoppers in the world, in David Yeah, who was prone to mistake. But you still trust all, him. All goalies are. Yeah. Alisson does it. Edison does it. All goalies are prone mm-hmm. to mistakes, right? The thing that worries me about um, Onana is he, he can't save a, a ball <laughs> which as a goalkeeper is a problem save a ball. I guess ridiculous but that I don't know who, who had the shot it was sad. I don't know who it was but instead of grabbing the ball into his body he right palms. he parried it into a dangerous area yeah he palms the ball or the cross yeah. that came in I remember the cross in the Galatasaray game where he came out to try and stop the cross but and he, he missed it by a country mile he, he, it was the one where he did as if I don't know what he was doing. The ball was coming in as a cross, so going nowhere near the goal, but he did as if he was saving a shot and parried the ball out again, straight into the path of the Galatasaray player and just looked and went, what goes on in your head? Like, what? That's probably the first save I've seen you make in three matches and it was a fucking cross. But you know, Fabian Bartes, yeah. you, you, you'll not remember him, right? A World Cup winner, by the way. And there were some matches and but it was entertaining. You know, it was entertaining if you won the match. But yeah, I he don't made s- some blunders. But we're saying that Ederson and Allison make mistakes. Yes, they do. But Andrew and Anna's consistency of mistakes is the issue now. And I tell you what is the worrying thing. It's a laugh and a joke to say that he can't save the ball. But I'm not but seeing the shot stop. He can't. It, I'm not seeing the shot stopping of uh, a good Premier League goalkeeper. Yeah. I'm seeing the shot stopping of somebody that would have but problems you, in the championship. You cannot elevate him to David Hay shot stopping you know, capabilities, yeah. you can't. Now, that David De Gea ex- excelled in that. David De Gea was timid yeah. where his box was concerned, and David De Gea was not really good with his feet. But you could have relied on David De Gea to pull a rabbit out of a hat. Do you know what, match. one of the worst things with Andrew and Anna, one of my biggest frustrations is every time that someone goes through one-on-one, I know it's going to be a goal. Now, David De Gea was very good at making him, doing the bit. David De Gea did the basics brilliantly. Mm. He was able to push shots away, he would stand and make his frame look as big as possible when people are through, and he had a very good reading of what people were going to do when they got in one one on one with him. Onana falls and puts his arms in the air. He literally falls backwards and puts his hands in the air. Was it, it when Akiori went goal. through? What were you doing? He went down too soon. That's the basics of goalkeeping, though. That is the basics. Yeah. You stand and wait for your opponent to make the move, and then you make your frame big. 
he made the move and Akiori almost looked like thanks cheers appreciate that yeah and Akiori runs I around in there I that into the net did you see his his fist pumping and his um his celebrations after the penalty you didn't do anything what are you celebrating he for just, look oh god I looked at it and thought what are you doing what are you celebrating with you just got our holding midfielder sent off with your chaotic passing you've been a bomb scare all match and Akiori kicks the ball away and you're celebrating as if oh yes this is brilliant look guys he missed you know mm-hmm. let's all forget the fact that I got Cass sent off Casimir's headed for the tunnel but you know I put Akiori off for that penalty no you didn't lad yes Onana starts but right. begrudgingly Onana starts I'd love to see Bayander on the team sheet I really would right back has to be Dallow isn't it who else is he going to play no I put Lindelof in there oh yeah right Lindelof oh yeah I'm going Dallow I think he's the only wing back available and I'm okay. sticking to Dallow right side of centre back oh Brown. yeah I'm Brown too I don't think you go away from that Left side of centre back. Evans. Would you? Oh, absolutely. Why? Why did Johnny Evans get taken out of the team? Is it, he was taken out decisionally for Victor Lindelof, or did yes. Evans pick up a knock? Was he on the bench? No, I think it was a just a decision by the manager. Mm-hmm. Look, you don't have to play Harry Maguire anyway. Southgate's always going to pick him. I would play Harry. <laughs> <laughs> I just think Harry is the basic defender who is not going to get pushed off the ball. Brentford are going to come in and try and be physical when they play Harry. Okay. Is what it is. Okay. Left back. Dallow. I would stick with Amrabat. I don't mind the fluidity of Casemiro coming in and covering Amrabat at the left back. I think it's a, a different way to play the game and I think that it's an ultra-attacking way to play. Now, we've been caught out defensively and mm-hmm. we've made some mistakes but if he shores up the mistakes... This is the most attacking we have looked in years and it's brilliant to watch when it's in full flow and I was out of my seat when Hoyman put that ball in and I actually thought we'd get our act together and then it fell apart through game mistakes but there were passages of that Galatasaray game where I thought this is what I was waiting to see. This is our Ten Hag's vision. This is good passing, crisp passing, brilliant movement and I, I really like watching it. So I'm going Amrabat, left back. Mid three. I suppose next, it, they come, before you start picking players, it's whether you play three in the middle or you play two in the middle. And I'm playing three. Amrabat, Casemiro and Fernandez. Oh, Fernandez as a right-sided midfielder. Okay, further up the pitch, obviously. Mm-hmm. Amrabat a bit deeper. Do you know I like that? I get, yeah. You can see the advantages of yeah. it. don't think you pick it. And I'm not... I don't like Lindelof at right-back. In your team, I don't. I don't like Lindelof. Full like, stop. Yeah, but I just think that your your two fullbacks there, Dallow and Lindelof, you're going to get the output. You're going to unsettle the two centre backs. I think. I don't think you will. I would play two in midfield. My two midfielders, I think, will go with Casemiro Mount again. And I would like to see Casemiro Mount again. I think that Amrabat tucking in to allow Mount to go further on down the pitch is fine with me. So they would be my two in midfield. They have Mount playing. Um, in with Casemiro then so you're going for three up front yeah who's your three Rashford Hoyland and Anthony oh you bring Anthony straight back mm. god I I don't like Anthony either I don't I don't see what who would you pick there then who's your front three I'd have Hoyland and Rashford yes I would play Mabry and Fernandez again I'd pretty much keep the 
this team is saying this girl's half three but it remove Lindelof and if he would allow me I would take Onana and put Onana in the reserves and play by Ender so Maguire is going to be my call will he do it? probably not but I'm saying Maguire anyway laughing at but I, I do think he does the basics better than Victor Lindelof I really really do and I think Manchester United need a defender now not some flamboyant European cultured defender who comes out and looks brilliant when he's gliding across the pitch and playing the passes and then gets bullied by a Jordi or gets pushed off the ball or God forbid he comes one on one with Mbwemo tomorrow yeah. I just think when you have Dallow and Lindelof in the defence you're sacrificing a lot of physicality for a ball playing presence and I'm not a fan we need a vintage regen Verona Martinez showed signs of being a really established back two when they had Dallow yeah but you had the muscle and the brains there. yes you did you did. That's what you had. And you had you had good fullbacks as well. You had Luke Shaw and you had Aaron Wan Bissaka. Yeah. yeah. So that's I think my team stays the same. It would be interesting to see if you picked your team. Anthony back in's a massive call. Do you think Anthony's good enough to start? Well who else is there? If you're gonna play Palestri. Like, Bruno off the right. I really like Palestri. Facudo Palestri is a cracking wee player. Yeah, However, great. he's lightweight. He is. I think he got found out when he started that game. Yeah. The last Garnacho you know, Garnacho, Anthony Marshall and Palestri are cracking players to sit on the bench and come on the last twenty five minutes. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think they, but they have they have to sit on the bench. They're not good enough to start at the minute. Memory is only getting in the team because we have no left back and Amrabat can't push into midfield. Memory would not be starting. So if you're gonna suffer one of them, play Memory. Because if you go Mebry and Palestri or Mebry and Garnacho, it's too... I just can't wait to see that combo between Casemiro and Amrabat. So, yeah. We've been crying out for, from the start of this, from way before the start, from the end of last season. Yeah. You know, and it, I just can't wait to see that combo. And look, you'd probably go with the team that started against Galatasaray, but that's the team that I would like to see. Yeah. Score prediction. 5-1 United. <laughs> <laughs> Rashford Hattrick. Oh my God, imagine it. You know, I, I set myself up for these all the time. I start off with a bit of positivity about the next game and every time I'm analysing the results, I'm like, do you know what? This is the one. This is the performance. It's going to happen. But I'm going to be really pragmatic and say it's going to be one each. Well, honestly, 2-1 to United. You think we'll beat them? I bet. Huge dose of hopium here. <laughs> hopium? <laughs> I don't think they're the same team. Brentford this year. But they have a couple of injuries as well. Now, yeah. Uh, key injuries, I don't know, but they have a couple of... Um, Thomas Frank came out and said that there is a couple of injuries. There are a couple of players doubtful. But yeah. that could be psychological. You just never know on the day. The poor thing is you never know what Manchester United we're going to get tomorrow. No matter what the form, it's nice to pick the starting 11s and see the differences in who we would pick. But even if we got our starting 11s, are we, there's no expectation what you're going to see yeah. when those boys take to that pitch. And that's the biggest problem at the minute. Yeah, I suppose we just have to wait and see what happens tomorrow. And how you need to get on against Brentford. And we'll be back next Friday to go over whatever issues seem to arise in Manchester United. Oh, at the minute, it's a be weekly there'll be some fresh drama or gossip to pick up and then we'll have sort of like a reprieve because then the international matches are on Both. yeah well do you know what Manchester United off the pitch is probably more entertaining than Manchester United on the pitch so you'll be able to find something but anyway everyone enjoy the match tomorrow thanks for listening leave us a rating there if you're on Spotify if you're on Deezer whatever you're on or if you're on one of the socials just 
give us a like, give us a follow, and we'll pick up with you next week. Bye, everyone.